Welcome to Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. Celebrate food and life by learning about the culinary scene around the world. Speaking with chefs, artists and food makers, farmers, authors and tastemakers who are passionate about everything delicious. A very good weekend to you food lovers. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio and season's eatings as I like to say. This is your culinary playground where every weekend you can discover delicious new recipes, restaurant finds from across the country, unique authentic ingredients. You can learn the techniques of master chefs and cooking ideas for novices. And I hope that you'll listen in for the latest trends in food and eating, health, the wine world, travel, and more, because I am all about all things delicious. And I'm always serving up seconds, by the way, at chefjamie.com, where you'll find a bevy of free recipes, videos, and more. You can also follow on social, please, for my daily dish, sometimes shamelessly gluttonous, at Chef Jamie Gwen, where I hope you'll become a friend and a fan. Let's get this party started, though, shall we? Every week, I like to kick off the show with a tutorial of sorts, one to make you the best cook you know. And it's often seasonal, and it's always topical, and I'd like to say that it sincerely comes from my heart. And this next conversation is all about what memories are made of. So as a little girl, my mom would take from the oven a very heavy cast iron skillet, that which she still has, and this glorious spectacle from within would make me ooh and ah in excitement. It looked like a puffy crater and it had this sweet, lovely aroma, and it was a Dutch baby. And it demanded immediate eating right before it deflated. And she topped it with sliced strawberries or spoonfuls of blueberry jam. And she always showered it in a snow of confectioner's sugar. And it has a very dear place in my heart. And tis the season. Because when the weather turns cold, I think of making a Dutch baby. Maybe because it's comforting Or maybe at the holidays, it feels like a special breakfast, not that you need a holiday excuse. But no matter the reason, my son is finally old enough where he is ooing and aahing at it uh, just before four years old, where he'll sit in front of the oven like he will the washing machine and uh, I think startle at the beauty and the science of it. But let's dish about it. Please, because by the end of this tutorial, you will hopefully be running to the kitchen and pulling out your eggs and planning breakfast for breakfast or breakfast for lunch or breakfast for dinner, for that matter. So it's called a pancake, right? But this German version bears little resemblance to the fluffy flapjacks that we're all used to on this side of the Atlantic. Uh, A German pancake or a Dutch baby is made of a non-leavened, crepe-like batter. And there's usually some sort of fruit, traditionally apples and caramelized, of course, um, that is first cooked in the skillet and then you pour over a batter and then the pancake is finished in the oven at a very high heat. And what you end up with is this smooth, custardy, clafouti-like pancake that is filled with soft caramelized fruit. And a German apple pancake is hard to beat as an easy 
uh, breakfast, last minute dessert. I like to serve it at brunch, drizzled with maple syrup. I put a crispy slab of smoky bacon on the side. It is so good. It is an old recipe though, and the history skews sweet. So the origin is Dutch, but the dish's popularity in America is due in part to Sunset Magazine. Remember that one? That Those articles, by the way, that dated back more than 50 years. So when it comes to a Dutch baby, uh, most batters use all milk, but as with anything wonderful in the food world, uh, I believe we should elevate. And today, sometimes I incorporate yogurt or sour cream into mine for a richer flavor. Okay, let's be honest. I always incorporate something for richer flavor. If I have sour cream or creme fraiche even better, or some mascarpone, I whisk it into the eggs. And I don't really whisk. My batter comes together in the blender. And I think that's one of the greatest tricks of a Dutch baby uh, current, I should say, because you get this really smooth, lovely batter. And why not let your appliances do all the work? You've heard me say that before. Now you pour this smooth batter into a very hot buttered pan. And I do recommend cast iron or the heaviest duty pan that you have. You preheat the pan in the oven as the oven comes up and even longer. And when you add the butter and it melts, and it should be good quality, preferably European butter, you pour in the batter and it bubbles and shimmers and you kind of feel like the moment of liftoff, right? And as it bakes, the pancake curls at the edges and it rises sometimes above the rim. And there's an occasional mogul at the center, you know, and it's versatile enough that you can do it any way you like it. I mean, you could make it savory if you wanted, have your way with it, spice up the batter, um, add in some pumpkin puree, use the pancake as a vessel for fresh vegetables and greens. You could melt thin rafts of cheese on it and cut it into wedges when it comes out. There really are a few rules, um, but keep in mind a few things, please. The batter should be very well blended um, and it shouldn't have any added bits that have weight in it, right? So you'd have to add the batter to whatever uh, savory or sweet vegetables or fruit that you like, because you don't want to impede the rise. And by the way, that will apply to pumpkin puree, etc. If you're whisking, um, but really please use your blender, make sure you have a very smooth mixture. A Dutch baby must go into a hot pan, H-O-T, like hot, hot, hot. And it is almost foolproof, I'll tell you. It's guaranteed to be spectacular. And I think if you haven't rediscovered the magic or never discovered it at all, please give it a go. Um, you could use a pie plate. You can use an oven-proof skillet. The cast iron skillet is best and it retains its heat. And here is my best chef's tip. The eggs need to be at room temperature to maximize their rise in the oven. So if you don't pull out your eggs early enough, place the eggs in a bowl of warm tap water for five minutes or until they come to room temperature and then make your batter. That is the best technique trick I can give you. And when you deliver a Dutch baby to the table, 
you are going to be a culinary hero because my mom was and still is because of her Dutch baby and for so many other reasons. And who doesn't want to be a gastronomic god or goddess, right? Now, I will gladly share my best Dutch baby recipe with you. It's actually the bonus recipe of the week. It is not posted on my website. You just email me, jamie, J-A-M-I-E, at chefjamie.com, and we can dish all about it, okay? Because it's just that good. All right. I have a mention for you. It's food news this week. It's definitely necessary dinner party conversation, as I like to say it. And that is because we need an army of friends to find them. I am on the search. I had one. They were shared at a party. Then they were gone and I can't find them again. But if you, like me, grew up on a Dutch baby, maybe you grew up on Ritz crackers. My son loves them. My generations love them. Gotta love a Ritz cracker, right? Well, this year, Ritz decided to pull out all the stops and come out with a limited edition holiday cracker. And it is covered in fudge. Not like hard chocolate. Like toothsome, delicious, sweet chocolate over a salty, buttery cracker. And for a moment, when I ate my one allotment, time stood still. Now, I have been trying for days to find the Ritz Cracker Fudge Covered Limited Edition, and I cannot. So please look at a store near you, and if you find them, let me know. I might even fly for them. That's how good they are. They would be a great stocking stuffer. Uh, It's a holiday treat. I I don't even know what to say. My mouth is salivating like I'm going to drool soon. And that's food news this week. All right, enough said. I might even share my address if somebody could find a box. (laughs) I'm thinking about it. All right, this is really a beautiful show of delicious inspiration, so don't touch your dial. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio, back with more fabulous food right after this. Welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. It's delicious, it's divine, it's food and wine. And as you've heard me say it before, we have the grandest culinary thinkers on this show because you know her and love her, the beloved food writer that is truly, I will say, not only a culinary icon, but she is uh, the true epitome of cookbook royalty. She is Tessa Kiros. 
and she has helped define the modern illustrated genre that is cookbooks, having sold almost three quarters of a million copies over multiple titles and languages and decades. We know her and love her for apples for jam and falling cloudberries, for food from many Greek kitchens, limoncello and linen water, piri piri starfish, my favorite, and more. And it is the wonderlust that... Tessa shares her culinary experiences from all around the world, her extraordinary travel, her growing up with a Finnish mother and a Greek father in South Africa, and her culinary style. Albeit, not only is there sheer culinary talent here, but the presentation of itself just makes you yearn to step into Tessa's kitchen. And thrilling for all of us, there is a new award-winning and well-deserved beloved book that Tessa has just released entitled, and I couldn't, I couldn't say it better, I would say, Now and Then. It is a memoir of Tessa's life in cookbooks, and it is filled with recipes and stories and history, and it is a beautiful read, and it is with great pride and honor that I tell you Tessa Kiros graces this show live from Italy. Tessa, I'm very, very glad to have you. I've followed you a long time and congratulations, kudos. This book is once again, like all the others, just absolutely beautiful. Wow. Thank you so much. (laughs) That was just amazing. I want to get every single word of that and write it down. (laughs) It's well-deserved. Well-deserved. You have had a lifetime of cooking and eating. Do you I, I I can't imagine this book didn't give you tremendous reflection, but do you look back so often and I hope praise yourself, pat yourself on the back and realize the life you've led, your accomplishments, the the beautiful success and the bounty that you've shared? Yes, I think that, um, you know, it is a lifetime of collecting that this book is kind of, where I'm at now, you know, everything that's on my table at the moment. And it's wonderful to share. The best, best gift that you can receive as an author is that people enjoy reading your book. And sometimes people have said to me, my children have grown up on your recipes and now they're here, they are getting their own new books of yours and cooking. And Mm. that is just, I don't think I can ask for more as an author. No, I, I could certainly understand that sense of pride and I hope you feel accomplishment. I mean, it's extraordinary, your career. There are all new recipes shared in this gorgeous book and it's more than a cookbook. It's lifestyle, it's memoir, but as much as it is new, as you call it now and then, there's a tremendous amount of nostalgia. Those are the things that we all hold on to. Don't we all know, like they say, what was the first take? you remember what did your mom make you what what do you carry with you so in fact my first chapter things that stay yes are the things that i i want to carry with me i want to at the same time that we keep exploring things so chapter two goes into nowadays where am i nowadays a lot of vegetables plant-based but i'm not a vegetarian no. so um it's a, a mixture of everything of of traveling of places that have meant something to me mm. that i want to keep at the end of the day, it's like a wonderful big bag of things that I want to, I want to remember how to make them. Even in 20 years from now, I want to remember how many tomatoes, what were those tomatoes like, how can I make it again? 
because when we travel, we keep the memories with us. And as I've said in, in my introduction, and I come home and I make those things again that I ate so that we can live those again. Mm-hmm. And with the book, you're living it again and again, and I'm remembering, and like that, I'm giving it to people. Yes, and they're passing it on, like the feedback that you've received to their children, and then it lives forever. I think that's one of the beauties of a cookbook, right? Like, Tessa Kiros, you will never be forgotten. You are in print, in plume, forever, as a testament, right? I mean, that's amazing. Right? Isn't it? But you know, I always say that it's just, you keep them, you keep the first copy for you. For me, I've got (laughs) it for my children, for... um, you know, if you like something, other people are going to like it. They're going to respond to it. Yes. And things are just recipes. We need to eat. We need to create. We need to, we need to be out there every day looking for new inspiration for our children, for ourselves, yes. for our friends, mm-hmm. and, for, and this is wonderful palette and possibility of what you can do every single day. And as I alluded to in the introduction, you have really propelled the cookbook world to a, a more modern place with every book that you've released because you talk about your travels and how they influence your everyday eating and how I see your culinary style as like a collage. I absolutely love that this beautiful South African woman was raised Finnish and Greek, but has a heart for Mexican cuisine and New Orleans gumbo. I trained in New Orleans, wow. Tessa. I don't know if you know that. that so Nolens. That's amazing. Yeah, but Mexico, Nolens, and then the countryside in Tuscany. I mean, what a collage. I think that I, I, I would uh, describe myself as a traveler and as a collector. And collecting everything I love. So huh. it's not only the, you know, the strict recipe and the, and the it's just a bit of everything. Yes. It is everything that interests me, whether fashion, mm. materials, yes. fabrics, um, people, mm-hmm. people for me are the most incredible. So when I went to Mexico, it was to study Spanish and I stayed with a Mexican family mm. and in there, there was this cook Rosa and my Mexican chapter is all about that. Just yes. what, when I saw Rosa, I thought, wow. This is amazing, amazing. Yeah. And the same in New Orleans. I had no uh, plans to, to stay there. I was literally just passing through. Huh. And we were on our way to Texas. And I said, hang on a second. Some, you know, something's going on here. There's a jazz festival about to start. And when I found out about that, I said, I'm not moving from here. <laughs> and I stayed on, worked, and it was literally one of the best experiences ever. I will yeah. never, ever forget that. And the stories, wonderful. the stories and the memories from those experiences are on the page. Like I felt Rosa in, in this book in now and then yes. I, I felt yes. I wanted to stand in the kitchen next to you and how those stories resonate with all of us, how they conjure up a memory of an experience. I took a cooking class in Spain. I'll never forget. And yes. how those stories take us back. Now, this cookbook now and then is a... a be- and isn't that, yeah. sorry to say, but isn't that just exactly everybody has got their story? That's so important what you said. Yes. Because it's not just about me saying, you know, I've been here, I've done this, I've done that. It's about the way that everybody has their story and what resonates with them. Oh, Tessa, you are 
so delightful and it is with joy that I am able to speak with you. Thank you for sharing your passion. We need to take a quick break. Please don't go away. When we come back more with Tessa Kiros in your radio right after this. back and we're dishing chef jamie gwen here cookbook royalty in the house tessa kiros is here her new cookbook released now and then much awaited there's something beautifully genuine tessa i think about what we all love about you is that it's a very pure passion that you encompass and i feel like from a gastronomic perspective, your recipes come through that way. So I've marked, I mean, dozens upon dozens in now and then, but I started from a, like a holiday perspective thinking, how is Tessa Kiros going to grace my table? And first and foremost, I'm letting you know, I'm making roast fennel with brandy and gray air from your book. Right. Not only because you say you can have it for dinner, because you sometimes sit down to that for dinner. That yeah, sounds sometimes. fabulous. Absolutely. And why not? You see, I love this no rules. Yes. I love it. Yeah. And that is the so... The same way that I approach a book, the uh-huh. same way that I approach a book, you don't have to do a book, just recipe and photo. You can put whatever you want in a book. Yeah. Your stories. Your, your book. That's right. Your stories. Yeah. Your little, you know, whatever you want to put, little sparks. Mm. It's a wonderful platform to be able to just give something to people. I You know, people I don't want to know the bad stuff. You don't have to sit in and say, oh, this, I don't like it. You put the stuff that you like in it and you give it to people because I always say, you know, what is important in a book for me? The brief is that when when you've closed the book, when somebody has been through the book, what should they be left holding? Hmm. And even if it's just two drops of inspiration. What a beautiful thought. Yes, what a beautiful thought. Okay, this roasted fennel for the holiday table, yes? Tell us all about it. Well, I love that. And, you know, like I can have that kind of thing for dinner. You know, fennel is now seasonal and it's just beautiful. And it actually just goes well with everything, I think. It's not something that has to necessarily scream out and say, me. I think it blends in well. The flavor is beautiful. And with a little bit of brandy mm. and the cheese and the gratinade on the top, I think it's just delicious. Yeah. Oh, my gosh, does it look luscious. Uh, pears, nuts, and blue cheese. Uh, in this book, a testament to the beauty of simplicity of what you do. This is the perfect thing to lay out as the start to a holiday meal. Definitely. Yes. Or as like I sometimes think, you know, even afterwards, just take a pause between oh, desserts. You want maybe a piece of cheese. Yes. Or the day after Christmas or, you know, those days that follow between the festive season when you don't quite know what it is that you want, a plate of beautiful cheese. Mine has got some dates in it and it's just, it's beautiful. Gorgeous. Always. Gorgeous. Speaking good ingredients, I'd say. Yes. Good ingredients mm. and you cannot go wrong. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly and even better in the countryside of Tuscany where you are. Um, speaking of the day after Christmas, I understand your tradition is to make pecan pie on the 26th. Well, I do. I like to have something like that hanging around, you know, just <laughs> after Christmas. You know, those kind yeah. of moments when you think, I'm a little bit peckish, what do I want? So I try to always have a pecan pie hanging around. Then we've got some gingerbread. 
We also always make things like cinnamon and cardamom buns from mm. my mom's side mm. for Christmas morning. But those kind of things, you know, don't... Um, people are hungry, so you've got to have food in that time and measure it out well. That's our little job, isn't it, at home, to make sure that you've got a nice tin of biscuits and yes. when everything is closed and a nice variety of things. So some cranberries left over mm. and you can have some nice sandwiches. But pecan pie is... A delicious little treat to have. So always have a bit of fresh cream in the fridge, ready to whip up and serve with a slice of pecan pie. Mm. For some reason, I find it quite special oh. in those days. It, very those much gaps. so, yes. And, and those days are actually some of my favorite days in the whole year. Huh. Like the 26th to the, the 31st. It feels like they go on and there's like a, a lull in time. It's almost like difficult to define what mm. it is. But it's the end of the year. You feel like you should be doing something. You feel like you should be doing nothing. I love it. So I love to have some special recipes in those moments. I love that. I think it's always come through in your books, Tessa. And I think we've all followed you for the inspiration. But because you live such a beautiful life, like your commitment to that albeit struggled or challenging. I mean, for those that don't know um, your past, you worked very hard to put yourself on the map, no doubt, right? Your original work, um, you had some considerable setbacks getting your first book published. And you're at almost the million mark in book Mm. sales. It's brilliant how far you've come, but it's that beautiful life, that appreciation that I think sets you apart. And I think also just believing in what you do, Mm. because I really did, you know, I did this first book and I really believed in it. I thought, wow, this book is wonderful. I want it even for myself. And I wrote to many, many, many publishers and they all said no. So I thought, okay, well, I will just do it myself then. (laughs) And so so you did. So I published that book. good for you. And, um, you know, it was really, really hard to to sell them and to get the money back for it and to, you know, just to... But that thing, I always say to people, you just got to, when you do something, do it well and believe in it. Hmm. And at the beginning, it's not easy because people say, well, you know, are you like a famous chef? Are you a famous author? Are you, a, you know, are you well known? Understandably... Uh, but if you believe in it, is my message, just go with it and you believe in it and walk all the way with it. Yes. So it was not an easy road. No, not and at not all. one that I would recommend to people. <laughs> I would not say to people, go and self-publish your book. Sure. You know, I don't know. I just didn't think about it. I just walked and I did it. And you did it. But I'm really glad I did. I'm really yes. glad I did because it shows you that when you... I think that if you do something, do it well, is my motto if I have to have one huh. and I say that to my children do it do it well and then you know you can just follow it through support it yes. believe it yep. and go forward yes and you can present it with pride by the way we're very glad that you did it too I'm making fish with lemons and oranges I'm making your sugar lemon that's tart nice. yes that's nice for the seasonal isn't it fish yes. with lemons and oranges it's, and it's so simple it looks you l- just throw everything lovely. into a pan yes and Oh, and mascarpone the cake. Great. Mascarpone cake, Tessa. That's nice. That's oh. nice because it's a white, lovely cake. 
cake that feels like Christmas. I thought about that and I thought, you know what, that is a lovely, easy cake to make. And feels like Christmas. Yes, definitely so. It does. You have added sparkle for many years to many people's lives. You have redefined the cookbook. You have aspired and inspired young cooks and, um, and aged ones like me. Because I feel like every time you release a new book, you share new insight on social, it is just pure Tessa Kiros. And uh, there's something something truly beautiful to be said for that. There are cookbooks, and I receive more cookbooks across my desk, Tessa, as you know, than most people. Uh, There are cookbooks for certain reasons and occasions and celebrations. There are cookbooks for specifically designed to cook a ethnic style of cuisine. This book from Tessa Kiros, Now and Then, this is a collection of recipes for always, as we've spoken about. This is a cookbook you keep forever, one for yourself and to pass along and for family legacy from the beloved food writer who's sharing a reflection on her lifetime of cooking and eating more beautiful than ever written from the Tuscan countryside, Tessa's home for more than 20 years, influenced by South Africa and Mexico and New Orleans and Thailand and Greece. It is memoir and travel guide and food odyssey with 150 new recipes and personal reflections and stories. And it is not to be missed. So please go to Amazon, order your copy now. You can also go to Tessa's official website at Tessa Kiros, K-I-R-O-S, of course, and follow on social at Tessa Kiros. Uh, this, is, this is so beautifully you, Tessa. Congratulations. And thank you for sharing your passion. Thank you, thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> and just been incredible to be here with you oh, thank and you, share thank you. a piece. Mm. And, of our day. And we're so glad you did. I wish you and your family um, a joyous holiday, and I hope that you will come back next year and um, share more deliciousness here on the radio. I'd love it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Really, from my heart, it was, it was just amazing to, yeah. to speak with you and to be here. It, it was my privilege. Thank you. I have followed you for a very long time, and for everyone that has, Tessa Kiros's new cookbook, A Memoir, has arrived. So please don't miss it. It is entitled Now and Then, and it is from cookbook royalty, no doubt. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio, grab a snack, come on back. There's more fabulous food in your radio right after this. Please don't go away. Welcome back. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Vegetarian or plant-based Polish cuisine? Oh, yes. The new book is called Polished, 
apostrophe D. And it is vegetarian cooking from global Poland, but from Michal Korkos's kitchen. It is stunningly beautiful and inspiring from a multicultural, historical, beautiful kitchen experience kind of way. And I am delighted, Michal, that you are here. Congratulations on the book. I can't wait to dish with you. Thank you for having me. Yes. Um, That's that's a pleasure to be here. Well, thank you. Um, Okay. Let's talk about your style of eating. You call yourself a flexitarian, but you cook mainly vegetarian Polish cuisine. And I wonder how it was received. It's taken some time for um, Polish people to understand that there is beauty in, in plant-forward food? Actually, it's been years uh, um, of Poland being very uh, vegan-friendly. So, um, actually, it took me by surprise yeah. when I, um, I went to the, to the state for the first time and I was chatting with other chefs and uh, journalists and all all of them um, uh, were telling me that, oh, they love Polish food, but it's very meat-heavy. Right. And I was thinking, is it? It's really meat-heavy. And I was counting in my mind all the traditional vegetarian Polish dishes. Uh, um, and then I was thinking about Warsaw uh, being, called one of the, uh, being called one of the most uh, vegan-friendly cities in the, in the world because... Huh. So, like, there are so, so, so many vegan restaurants in the in Warsaw. There, like, all grocery stores uh, have uh, vegan products. There are like plenty of fresh uh, vegetables and the fruits. So, it's very easy to be vegetarian in Poland these days. But you are right at um, one thing, because uh, in the previous century, uh, Poland also was a very um, vegetarian not because of the terms uh, that are these, these days. Poland was vegetarian because it was, uh, uh, we lived in poverty. There were yes. not uh, much meat in the diet. Of course. So when, when we were going abroad with our cooking, we wanted to show our, the best dishes, the most lavish dishes, which were meat-based dishes. They were like dishes to feast. Yes. We weren't showing off with the dishes uh, like uh, buckwheat or like fermented dishes because we will eat them daily and we will consider them as a basic and nothing spectacular. And mm-hmm. this is changing these days. We're really focusing on our roots. So um, vegetarianism is our roots. So I really wanted to showcase uh, this aspect in my cookbook, the first one and the second one. This is a beautiful book. And um, for those that might not know you, albeit a half a million followers plus on Instagram and more across social media, um, you are very young. Uh, you are so full of talent uh, and extraordinary inspiration. And kudos to you. Congratulations. This second book of yours is... Uh, when you say everything is delightful, and I love that, you are delightful, and the book is just brilliant. I mean, it is beautiful. So congratulations to you. I can't wait to cook from it, and it was my delight to be able to have you on the radio. Thank you so much for Thank you. saying all of these beautiful compliments yes. and for having me yeah. and having this beautiful chat about food. I'm, I'm so very impressed. If your knowledge of Polish food is limited to kielbasa and pierogi, 
you must check out this vegetarian cookbook. It is plant forward, uh, written and photographed by Polish food blogger Michal Korkos. So you can follow Michal on social at his name, M-I-C-H-A-L, Michal Korkos, K-O-R-K-O-S-Z. And you can bring global flavor to your kitchen. Uh, stunning, Michal. Absolutely stunning. Thank you again. I hope I, I hope I pronounced most everything properly. It was perfect. Thank you so much once again. <laughs> I, I, uh, I truly hope to have an opportunity to ba- break bread with you at a table once in this lifetime. So thank you. Thank you. I would love that. And so that brings us to the end of another hour of gastronomic inspiration, delicious conversation, uh, and sheer merriment, really. At least I hope you thought so. It is my delight for 20 years now to share my passion with you on the radio. And I'll take this moment as we come upon the holidays to thank you for listening, to thank you for your support, to thank you for telling a friend. Because the fact that I can still do radio in my bunny slippers is my weekly delight. And the fact that I'm in your radio, in your car, or you follow this podcast, uh, if you listen across the U.S. and in Canada, I thank you. If you go for a morning run and happen to tune in on Spotify or SoundCloud or Apple Music, I thank you. And if you go to chefjamie.com for inspiration or you follow on social at Chef Jamie Gwen and you've found one recipe that you've made your own, then I can tell you I am truly grateful that I was able to share what I love the most. So... With that said, this is my last bite for the hour. Not this year, more new shows to come and in 2024 as well. But this is my last bite, my last ounce or tidbit of culinary conversation for today. It's citrus season, this cold winter we're having. And so I think you should savor it and preserve it. And I make candied orange peel and everybody loves it. It's like a grand gift of food. It's lovely as an after dinner bite. I put it in double chocolate orange cookies. I mix it into cake batter. I've been known to chop it up into my morning oatmeal. (laughs) I decorate fancy cakes with it. Uh, I bring it as a host or hostess gift and you'll want to make some. It's three ingredients excluding water and sugar, water, some oranges, and an orange-flavored liqueur, which is my secret, by the way. It gets an overnight soak in orange liqueur before you roll the strips in granulated sugar and dry them out. And if you really want to gild the lily, when you've completed a batch of candied orange peel, you dip each piece halfway in dark chocolate. And then invite me and I'll come over. I'll meet you here next weekend when it will once again be my goal to satiate your appetite. Until then, I'll see you at chefjamie.com and on social at Chef Jamie Gwen. Thank you again for listening. I'm Chef Jamie Gwen signing off, and I hope you continue to eat well. Bye.